Hey guys, how's it going? We're back again. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hi guys. So another interesting uh, period for the Calvin case. You know, it's come back into the limelight with this story that's just released in the Scottish Daily Record with the name that was on the back of the photograph. And uh, yeah, let's let's start this conversation going back to David when you first got the name and uh, let's try and go through the, the kind of timeline of what we've been doing for the last seven, eight, nine, ten months. Um, well, in terms of the name, uh, we I think we 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 got the name around sort of May or no, it must have been June or July last year from um, Craig Lindsay, and we we as I think we said on the last um, recording we did that um, we did we decided to deliberately sit on the name, and I, which I think we've done now for about a good ten months, um, precisely for the reason that we just wanted to see if anyone came forward when the um the the original photo was first published in the daily mail um who um obviously when you publish something like that you get lots of people coming forward saying that they know something about the photograph or they're the photographer and we thought that by by not publishing the name we could sort of have hold some information back so that we could test the authenticity of any claims that were made but bizarrely uh, no one has actually come forward to claim that that's their photograph, which I, I find utterly baffling. Although we have, we will get to this, but you know, there is there has been at least one person that's come forward who says that um, they were there at the time and they knew the photographers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, obviously, the, the we fast forward to I think the twelfth of August and the Daily Mail article which you wrote, David, and. You know, that was a, a double page spread in the mail. You know, obviously that suddenly within a yeah. matter of hours, if not, you know, days went all around the world. And, you know, it was an extremely busy time for us all. Um, and apparently one of the best read um, art, um, pieces on the mail online for the entire of 2022 in terms of number of clicks and shares, etc. Wow. Mm. I did not know that. That's impressive. Fantastic. So, I mean, I suppose after that, you know, that really... Uh, is when our investigation ramped up because, you know, we weren't just willing to to sit on it. Oh, look, we've got the photograph out there. That's our job done. It was definitely not the case. So let's talk about the initial beginnings of the investigation after that. And I know this involves Giles here and, and our good friend Strafe Wilson because, you know, the conversation that immediately came up was about the location and, and whether this was a reflection and all this kind of thing. So, Giles, do you want, do you want to come in on that and talk about the location of the, the on the photograph yeah i mean going back to the we've obviously when it was first um uh publicized the the picture it, it wasn't obviously as clear as the um the initial um re reconstruction picture from from nick pope but um we we basically just had foreground which was a shame we didn't have any any definitive background um which was which was unfortunate, but the, the fencing certainly stuck out for me straight away. And I um, I told Dave at the time, I thought I knew exactly where it was. And um, when Dave came up and we did a we did a hike out into the hills, and I took him up there, and I think he thought it was it was pretty much where we believed it to be. So yeah, I still think it's, so. It's still ultimately, I mean, it's, it's still it's still a guess. It's just that little bit of of information we've got from the picture but um there's i mean i've, I've even since since august 
I've hiked out into the hill, into the hills, uh, several miles out from from Calvin, and there's nothing, there's nothing similar at all, fencing-wise. Um, and it just seemed to fit exactly where you'd think if you were coming out from Pitlochry and you wanted to do a walk, especially that late in the evening, you only had so much light left. You wanted to do, a, you know, an hour or two's walk. You're not going to get very far before you're right out in the middle of nowhere. So for me, there's actually not that many places, if, if it is Calvin, where you can, you can walk because you're walking uphill um, and you, you're walking up to a certain altitude, elevation, um, which I think clearly this image shows it, that it is at an elevation because you would expect to see hills, mountains in the background. If you, if you were at a lower elevation, you'd, you'd, you'd have some background. The fact that there is no background, to me, suggests that they have climbed up to a certain elevation before taking the picture. So, And I stick yeah. by that. Where are we now? Ten, nine, ten months later. Well, yeah, ten months later. And I've not found anywhere that I think would be more likely than Stuart Point. Yeah. Um, like I don't really want to, I don't want to speak for Strafe, but I know that he has, you know, come up with a very similar description that when you look at the shrubbery, the fence yeah, yeah. Uh, and that, there aren't many other locations that have those things in that kind no, of. No, there's not. No, Strafe, Strafe, Strafe thought the same. Yeah, we went up yeah. together and he thought, yeah, this looks, this looks like a, a, a highly likely candidate. So, But again, it's, you know, it's, it's our best guess. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Matthew, let's let's jump on to the start of September because we found uh, I think you spoke to us uh, somebody very interesting from the RAF. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, um when I started to investigate this case, um a man came forward on social media and recounted a tale to me uh which I, you know, substantiated to a reasonably high degree from what public sources are available that his father had um, left the RAF in the late 80s uh, and then been subcontracted by the MOD to work on air defence investigations. And he, the, the man, the son, told me that his dad had uh, investigated the Calvine photograph along with the one on the oil rig as he put it, which is the Chris Gibson sighting. Yep. Um, and he was part of a three or four man company. Um, and uh, the company was wound up in the mid nineties when his father passed away. And uh, this sort of led, uh, lent credence to the idea that, you know, some of these things were being put beyond the reach of the Freedom of Information Act. If you know if what evidence and materials had been submitted were transferred to a limited company with you know limited ownership, there'd be no way of anyone knowing that, um, and no means of, of getting that information back into the uh, the domain where the general public could ever access it again. Um, and he was very forthcoming, and he, he seemed perfectly genuine and honest. And I, I found his his dad in the the public records. Um, all his promotions, all the way up to group captain, and uh, yeah, 
So it was it was quite a it was quite a promising start at that point. Um, that people were willing to be this sort of forthcoming. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it does it also adds credence to the the fact that these photographs were genuine as well, and they didn't just show a rock in a lake and stuff like that. That, that if these these groups are being tasked to look at these images, that there's something to it. Um, I absolutely. mean. I, I, kind of assuming a bit a bit there but um so let's move on further on in september and we saw some some of us here start contacting our local mps so how do we go on that part i, I just wrote to mind i think david you you actually met with yours yeah louise haig who's a shadow northern ireland transport minister mp for healy and sheffield and she um sent a letter with a list of questions to um i can't remember his name but he, he was like one of he, he well she sent it to the um minister of defense whose name escapes me ben wallace that's it and he got one of his minions to um respond one of the junior yeah. ministers who basically the it's exactly what i expected them to say sorry you know that the, the the thing that's in the being released at the national archives is the only surviving historical record and we can't say anything more about it he didn't pointedly did not answer one of the specific questions which was was the um was the qra which is the quick reaction alert squadron um triggered um by an intruder aircraft on that particular day they just ignored that question altogether um which was a question that one of our raf contacts said that we should put to them and that to me is a bit suspicious because they didn't even make an excuse like, oh, it would cost too much money to go looking through the records, which is the usual way out. Um, so that was ignored. Uh, but interestingly, what the response about the thing about it being an American reconnaissance aircraft, they just basically passed the book on that and said, um, well, that's something for the Americans, <laughs> which is pretty much how they answered all the parliamentary questions about it back in the 90s. When, uh, coincidentally, um, Chris Gibson's sighting actually made it into the newspapers. This is the guy on the oil rig who we've been talking to quite recently, um, who was a member of the Royal Observer Corps, and he, he knows ex you know, expert identification skills on aircraft. And he was on this oil rig in the North Sea not long after the Calvin incident, and he saw this triangular object being escorted by, um, I think it was F-111s and a, a KC-135 tanker. And he just couldn't identify what the object was. And I, I interviewed him uh, quite recently. His, his, his memory of this is still absolutely crystal clear. And he still says he can't, he, to this day, he doesn't know what it was he saw. Chris Gibson as well was a trained observer for aircraft, yeah. really yeah. knew his stuff. So, you know, that again, for him to not ident uh, identify this pl uh, plane or object, is it says something. And if you don't mind, can we just talk about the... Uh, the intelligence source, let's say, David, that you've spoken to on a number of occasions. Yeah. Um, because we've mentioned this on a previous recording about how he knew what he said he knew what it was, but he actually did give us a little bit of detail about what the object's mission was and things like that. Can we can we just talk to that to a little bit more? Yeah, he, he basically said that um, what it was that was seen was an American, um, some kind of reconnaissance stealth, stealthy aircraft platform, whatever you want to call it, um, that was being used during that was used during the Cold War. That's never sorry the Iraq War, Operation Desert Storm, um, and um, it was some kind of thing that was invisible to radar that they sent in to basically identify targets with a directed laser beam, 
Um, and that's then what the what the F one the, the stealth fighters and the missiles used, um, and and they and and presumably this thing has been used in other theaters of conflicts conflicts as well. And it's it it's still on the secret list after thirty years now. Maybe he's, he's um, spinning me a yarn, but that's what he says it was and basically he can't say exactly what it was but that that's effectively what he was saying he thinks it was and he was in a position to know yeah absolutely and i think one other thing that i found really interesting about that conversation was that to the question of why would it be above scotland and you know his response being that they regularly flew things into raf macrahanish over on the, yep. the west coast but also that the terrain above scotland was similar to the terrain in these these places that they were going whether you know it's hilly and there's mountains yep. and stuff in uh, you know in the, the theater of war and the conflict so that you know that really stood out as well and and another thing i suppose worth saying is that when listening to this conversation this guy is not trying to it seems genuine in, in in the way he talks and things like that. I think that you know he's yeah. Well, I think I we've know. gone over this before, and like the first time I contacted him was before I even we even started investigating this particular That's story. Right. Yeah, and I I'd just come across his name by accident in the um, National Archives, and I'd just phoned him up because I knew that he dealt with this subject at the time. Um, well, I, I emailed him and just said, "Well, I've seen your name in the National Archives. I know you had a responsibility for UFOs." Is it all right if we have a chat? And he, he texted me back and said, yeah, no problem. You know, I'm retired now. You know, I can't talk about anything that was top secret, but happy to talk to you about UFOs because they weren't top secret. Mm. And I, I, we, I was just having a general conversation like, you know, what did you do and how many reports did you handle every day and what was your feelings about them? And I just sort of normal sort of question, was there anything, any particular incident that stuck in your mind from that period that you were, that you were you were responsible for investigating UFOs and uh, and he just dropped it out. Yeah, there was this occasion in the, with these two lads in Scotland. <laughs> so got, he didn't know I was going to ask him about that, and no. I wasn't asking him about it. I've got the verbatim quote here. Yeah, you, I, I've listened to it today, and uh, you just uh, like exactly as you've said. You just said, "Well, is there anything inexplicable in uh, your, your, your sort of career?" Um, and he said there was one case where there were a couple of poachers up in Scotland and having photographed each other with their kill, they happened to catch some aircraft in the background and that caused a hell of a stink. That's his quote. And yeah. you then just start to talk about it. You know, it was that about Aurora and he's like, yeah, that's the one. And then he starts just reeling off all the information and he's, if you've listened to this, I, I I looked at it. There was sort of two and a half hours of, of sort of interviews, uh, multiple separate conversations, and uh, he's not, especially like in in this, you know, when he's just off the cuff, unprompted. You you know, you didn't mention Calvine, you didn't mention Aurora, uh, in, at least initially. You know, you just asked him was what was inexplicable, and he just started to to give the the uh, the information about this case, um, and then just described. You know the nature of the aircraft, the the fact that there were two Harriers there, uh, one American and one British, and um, yeah, the, the facts just kept coming. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was yeah. when he said it, it was definitely not a hoax. It was definitely yes. good film. Let's put it that way. Yeah, because at the time, at the time, I mean, I knew something about the case. Obviously, I'd seen it in yeah. the papers of the night. I'd concluded, as everyone knows, it mm. was a hoax. 
Yeah. So I was sort of saying to him, well, wasn't this a hoax? And he was saying, no. <laughs> yeah. What makes you think it was a hoax? <laughs> yeah. So it took I, me I, by I, surprise. Yeah, I always like the bit about you. You say something like, uh, "Aurora was a myth, wasn't it?" And then he just go, he, he laughs, and he goes, "Was it?" You know, <laughs> 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 no, he <turned> a voice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, I mean, we have we have had contact with someone else from uh, in British intelligence since, haven't we, Vinny? So again, yes. Obviously, we've got to protect these people's identity, but he was telling pretty much the same story and he was saying it was the talk of the office <laughs> that they knew that this thing had been photographed and that they had a big poster sized version of it on the wall as well and that as soon as their sort of head of um, defense intelligence saw this thing they it was immediately classified secret and they were all told to keep you know keep stum well this is the thing where i'm i get a little bit confused is was the photograph ever classified top secret was the actual photograph because it it certainly doesn't reside in any of the mod files pertaining well, to calvin does it no i think i think this second contact told us it um told us that it what it was classified secret not top secret okay there's a difference obviously in the um you know the importance of it of something but i think Certainly by 2009, when they released that crappy um, photocopied thing about it, it must have been downgraded to unclassified by then. But when we say unclassified, they've still never released an official sort of really good quality image of it, have they? So no, no. We, we don't know, and because they won't, they're not very forthcoming about it, and they appear to have lost all their records on the subject. They don't know. This is the bizarre thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Yeah, I think personally there's a potential and it's sort of reading between the lines a little bit. The When it got sent to Sec AS, it appears that somebody at that point made the copy that was on the wall that Nick Pope and Craig Lindsay have both said they saw. Hmm. And then they were passed on to, on the assumption I would imagine, that they just thought this was a fake. I, I, can, I can imagine that it comes in and they, they just think, oh, this is clearly just something like it makes a rock in a lake <laughs> or something <laughs> like that and then it gets passed on to the di-55 and if they were sent everything it's a bit like when when craig they, they forgot about the copy that craig had got they overlooked it and i can yeah. imagine that that there was a potential for something similar to happen with the copies that uh, sec as had di-55 gets it they realize what it is and it vanishes yeah. um and they don't go back to Sec AS because that would, you know, give the game away to people who weren't, didn't have a need to know, as it were. Um, so, and I think that's that might be some way towards what happened. Because various people have said, how could it have been secret if they had it on the wall and all these various people were wandering in and seeing it? That hardly suggests it was top secret. But you, you know, the way you've just put it, Matthew shows what you know what's likely to have happened and, yeah. and if you read some of the later stuff in the late 1990s they didn't trust sec as at Not all they stopped sending them material they didn't even send them the condine report because they didn't trust them because of what nick pope had been doing with all his sort of you know becoming a tv celebrity and everything mm. so it was like it caused this huge um rift between these two departments who dealt with the subject yeah, yeah. absolutely and moving on, I think one thing that we have to keep mentioning as well is that although we're looking for these these witnesses and stuff, we're still very much interested in these two Harriers or whatever the aircraft were. And, you know, luckily we've had 
Graham Rendell uh, doing great work on that. He's, you know, our resident aviation expert. And I think it was in October that Graham had uh, written an article for UAP Media, which pretty much ruled out, uh, I think it's 2370CU, which was suggested by Chris Gibson, who, you know, the oil yep. oil worker. So, you know, I think that's also definitely worth mentioning the the aircraft side of the investigation and matthew do you want to quickly speak to the fact that you've been looking into that recently by being on these these uh, forums and the aviation magazines you know do you want to just talk to that to yeah that? Do, you sure. also, do, you, do you also want to mention the thing about various people have suggested it's not a harrier it's a hunter yeah i i went on a um a forum called uh pp rune uh, professional pilots rumor network and the people they were uh, really good um they were forthcoming um for the most part they were like, really personable um you know there's various uh, places where that's not the case but the pp rune was uh, was really quite good and um, a lot of them people messaged me privately and there was quite a, a debate um as to the nature of the the image and then some people were convinced that it was a hunter rather than a harrier and there was like the general conflict as to well you know it was a saturday and the harriers simply just did not fly on a saturday it didn't make any any difference pilots wanted their weekends um and then we the, there was a suggestion that british aerospace um used hunters as camera platforms uh, so they'd have, you know, gun camera, wing cameras, and so on and so forth. And they'd fly alongside whatever new vehicle they were testing, um, record it, and then have that as playback, you know, so you can see the visuals. Um, we didn't, we never really sort of got a, a final version. People were just content to say that the silhouette, given that it's quite blurry, could be one or the other. Um, but it was certainly a, a possibility that... Um, it was a test if it was a hunter um although other people were equally adamant that it was a harrier and that played into the fact with what we'd been told by the defense source that it the diamond was being escorted and that's why the harriers were there um and that also was lent credibility by the fact that david found that there had not been a qra in august 1990 uh, or rather, they, they had, but you know, at the very end of, of the month, um, and obviously, I think they used tornadoes. Is that right at the time? So, and this uh, this was clearly not a tornado. So yeah. that again, Lucas, Lucas RAF Lucas, where the um, QRA squadron was. Yeah, and uh, that lent credibility to the idea that this wasn't being intercepted; it was being actively escorted. Um, and then I went to the Scottish Air News which was like a, a air, spot, air spotters enthusiasts magazine at the time. And um, they went back and looked through their uh, archives for me. And they'd got no records of, of Harriers at the time. So the, the mystery source of the Harriers continues. But if, if Macri Hanish is, as the defense source suggests, the um, place where the, the origin of the diamond, um, you know, that housed U.S. Navy SEALs, um, all sorts of secret things Special went on forces. There. Special yeah. forces. It was the abort zone for the, uh, with like one of the longest runways in the world. Um, <coughs> so you could land absolutely anything on it. 
yeah, the, if you needed to uh, have a space shuttle come in and had an in-flight mishap, you could land it there. That's how long this runway was. So yeah. uh, you could you could get all sorts in and out of there. Um, and its location is very remote. Um, and also the operation record book of Macrihanish for that year has just been opened to the National Archives, which, as you, as three of you know, I checked just a couple of weeks ago. And although, obviously, he doesn't say, yes, we had this uh, prototype <laughs> aircraft flying from there, he does actually confirm that U.S. Navy Special Forces were operating from there at that, at that particular time. Interesting. Absolutely. I just think it was worth mentioning that the investigation still has uh, multiple prongs, let's say. And, yeah. Uh, and, and another one of those prongs was the the origin of the you know the photographs going to the Scottish Daily Record, and I think it's in early October. David, you spoke to the news editor Malcolm Speed from, from Malcolm the Speed. Yeah, he was news editor at the time, and uh, he contacted me having seen the story in the Daily Mail and said, "Yeah, he remembered the story." He was news editor, um, and he remembered the photograph um, arriving at news desk and being shown it by the picture editor. Um, Andy Allen, who we know sadly deceased, uh, he really was the key to the mystery, solving the mystery, but unfortunately he's not here to answer our questions. But Malcolm Speed, remember, being, being shown it. And unfortunately for us, he was just about to go on annual leave for two weeks. So he basically left the scene and uh, told me that he had just assumed that when he got back, that there'd be a double page spread. It'd be on the front page, all the rest of it. And he said, when he got back, nothing, not a dicky bird. And no one would talk to him about it. Um, the Andy Allen would just non-committal. Oh yeah, he'd sent it to the RAF, and they'd told him it was a fake. Um, he said he'd um, he tried to speak to the editor, Endel Laird, about it, and he just would not discuss it at all. Just said, "Leave it alone. Don't want to talk about it." He said it was really utterly baffling their attitude. And like me, he's, he's someone who's worked in as a journalist for decades. And he can't understand it to this day why they didn't run the story. He said it's you know it's like the biggest scoop that we missed, and it, like like the rest of us, he's, he's like wanting to get to the bottom of why they didn't run the story in the first place. Because if it was a fake, he said, regardless of, of its reality status, the photo is a stunning photograph, and no journalist worth their salt would not have run that story, even if they knew it was a hoax. It would have been, you know, hoax photograph from Calvin came to our office here. You know, we, the, the record of solved the, the mystery. We sent it to the RAF, and the RAF told us it was a fake. Here it is. You wouldn't not run the photograph. And then, of course, we had this Stuart Little character, didn't we? The, the guy that um, came forward and said that um, he was a freelance journalist uh, at the time and remembered seeing the other five um, images in, in a strip of negatives pinned on the uh, on the wall of the 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 the, the, the office that the photographers used in Glasgow. Now, I'm sure he did see something. I'm not sure about the rest of the story, um, but, you know, this all seems to stitch together that there was something um, about the photographs that was that is genuinely mysterious. And the reason why that the, the, just as the, as mysterious as the photographs is why the record didn't publish in the first place yeah absolutely and, and this is around the same time that as we're pursuing this uh, active investigation looking for kevin russell we uh we get another a source let's say um who gave us uh, the surname russell for a, a man and a woman who we believed may be kevin russell's parents so uh, who, who I forget now if that was Matthew or you, David, that first got those names. Who, who was that? 
Um, this was um, someone who contacted a, a colleague of ours, another ufologist, and I don't want. To, I'm not going to say who it was because I don't want to reveal the the name of the uh, the contact. But he sure. came forward, and I had a lengthy um, correspondence with him, which I'm it's still ongoing. In fact, in fact, he first contacted me when I was at a conference in Canada, and <laughs> this must have been like before the mail um published published my story about this and he basically said that he worked with the two um people who took the photograph and he's been able to um give me the their first names but not the surnames um and he he, he named a hotel in Pit, in Pitlochry where he said he worked with them at the time and he said they were out basically on the moors um picking mushrooms magic mushrooms um and that's when this thing happened and he said that um a friend or they i'm not clear whether it was them or someone that who they knew that basically had the photographs developed and it was from a very cheap sort of camera the sort of thing you would a disposable camera you'd buy in boots and they took the photographs to the daily record in glasgow and that's basically when things started going very very strange that these two guys who were like life and soul of the party you know out drinking every night enjoying themselves suddenly a complete change in in their behavior one of them went completely off the rails ended up in trouble with the law both of them vanished took off back home wherever it was they came from different parts of scotland and apparently the what what caused all this was when they turned the photographs over to the record the record as we know turned them over to the ministry of defense and then within a couple of weeks um a card a car turned this is classic men in black um story the car turned up um, at the hotel, um, two guys from, who said they were from the Ministry of Defence questioned all these people who were involved in this, working in this um, in this part of the hotel. Um, he remembered standing outside having a cigarette when this was going on, and he said that it was that experience that um, after that, these two lads were never the same again. And this chimes with what I was told by the defence source, because he said that, you know, that officers from defense intelligence went to scotland and interviewed the two guys and the, there are some details that i was given by this source that actually check out you know they are details that somebody would not have been able to invent so i'm pretty sure that he knows something um but it, it sadly despite um all the correspondence we've had with him it still hasn't um, been enough to allow us to track down any of the people he was talking about all of yeah whom absolutely were if you can imagine these are people who were moving around during the summer going from hotel to hotel uh, seasonal work cooking um, um cleaning up acting as porters you know when one drop job dried up they moved to another part of scotland to work in another hotel this is something that i'm 30 years ago tracking those people down i mean ask yourself you know, people that maybe you were at school or college with 30 years ago, would you remember their second names? Would you remember somebody who you knew briefly for a few weeks? Would you be able to find them now? Yeah, you could search for them on Facebook, but it doesn't mean to say that they're still going to be there or that they're even on social media. Yeah, absolutely. That's the problem we've got. Yeah, Matthew, you I, I know you were involved in looking at uh, tracking down a lot of these people when we did get names. Is there anything you wanted to just bring in on that bit when we're talking about finding these potential parents? Yeah, it was the 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 two men that this source uh describes are in exactly the same age group as other people have mentioned. Um 
and like David says, one of them went off the rails. But the the other man was the alleged to be the photographer. And he was the one who was alleged to have taken the bus to Glasgow to drop the negatives off at the record. And it's that man that was the most interesting because he apparently is still alive by all accounts. Um, and he was described as having left the hotel within a matter of weeks of this happening because of the change in his character. Um, and he, this, the description was really sharp and really severe. This, this man became extremely introverted, having, like you say, been, been uh, a reasonable extrovert before that. And he is, the source says that this man took a bus back to Glasgow and from there went to the coast and returned to live on an island off the west coast of Scotland. And he couldn't be sure which, but he thought it might have been Aaron or Islay. And he lived with there with his mother. And it's these strange little details because we had another person elsewhere who said the photographer went to Glasgow back after all this happened, went back to Glasgow to live with his mother. And now this person didn't say he went and lived off the of an island on the coast, but he did say he went to Glasgow to live with his mother. And it's just strange little details that tally, mm-hmm. um, not exact. Um, but again, this person, the, uh, the the source that we're talking about here, said that the the photographer was aged twenty four or twenty five, and that's almost exactly the same age that the other person who said uh, that he was from Glasgow said he was so these again you know it's it wasn't it wasn't like he was 18 you know it, it was definitely older middle middle 20s glasgow's linked and living with his mother um yeah oh and then i saw uh, one person did mention as well that he was a keen bird watcher which initially was one of the reasons that we had for believing that he'd gone up into um up to calvin but the, this person said uh, he was uh, a bird watcher and he had a distinctive coat and uh, he just liked going up around the Pitlockery Dam and uh, watching the birds up there as well. So that was just a, another little bit. But I had a had a look and unfortunately, again, we're armed with only with uh, first names. Um, I did actually find, find a, a, someone of the right name. Um, <laughs> I thought, you know, how many of these can there be on, on islands off the west coast of Scotland? But uh, lo and behold, when we did find him, tracked him down, it wasn't him. <laughs> yeah. And we don't know whether this is Kevin Russell. Kevin Russell could be someone else entirely. Indeed. Who, whose name has yeah. ended up on the back of the print. And But we, we have been able to establish, and Giles did some um, work, didn't you, Giles, going to the local, um, is it Perth? the electoral role yeah and you were able yeah. to confirm that there was a person of that name um residing at one of the hotels at the relevant time yeah i popped to the library in perth and uh, checked the electoral register for that period there was no kevin russell in the 1990 version um of the electoral register but that was you had to basically submit to where you were living by october 89 so there was no kevin russell in the pit area late 1989 he was however in the 1991 and 1992 edition so that means he had to register as living 
in Pitlockery. He was registered as living in the Hydro Hotel. Um, so that would have been between October 1990. No, sorry, yeah. Yeah, sorry. October 1990 to October 1991. So he was at, he was only in the area this kevin russell if it, if it was him he was only in the area for a year or year and a bit at most which is quite normal i mean like dave said it's a seasonal town Pitlockery. you you sometimes come in and just work for the summer and then and then you go and then if and often it's young members of staff you'll maybe just do one season and go so it's it's no surprise that that he didn't appear anywhere else as i said i did check a wider area. I checked other towns locally, Aberfeldy, and then further down to Perth. And there's no other Kevin Russell in Perthshire, as far as I could tell, around that time. The only one mentioned was Kevin Russell that lived at Hydro Hotel, because you often staff would live in um, because there wasn't enough accommodation. So the, the, the hotels would provide accommodation. So he lived in that hotel, was registered at that hotel anyway just for those two two years and that well, was I think it. you I think you just one year, the odds, didn't you Matthew on on it being the wrong one and <laughs> yeah yeah the the odds are, were, were staggering given the the number of people in Scotland um you know 5 million or so and there being um, uh, just over a dozen possible Kevin Russells of the right age you know the the chance that this uh, Kevin Russell's definitely the name on the back of the photograph uh, Craig Lindsay said that that text in red was there when he got it um, yeah. from the record. And this man working for this one resident for this one year um, of the right name in a small town like Pitlockery, it's just yeah. tens, I mean, if not hundreds of thousands to one against. And like that, playing Sherlock Holmes here, let's, let's think about this. Like, so you've got uh, the print with... The, with in written on the back of it, copyright Kevin Russell. Yeah. We've got a Kevin Russell who is on the electoral roll at the right time, living in a ho hotel or resident in a hotel in Pitlockery. We've got we've got um, Craig Lindsay being given the number of the person whose name is on the back, the Kevin, presumably Kevin Russell, to ring, and the guy who answers the phone answering the phone in a hotel in Pitlockery. What are the chances of it yeah. not being this Kevin Russell? Yeah. So I, I throw that over to you, dear reader, to make your own conclusions. <laughs> but another, he still hasn't found Kevin Russell for us. Another <laughs> another bizarre twist for us was, of course, I mean, there are three large hotels in Pitlockery. There's the the Hydro, the Athol Palace, and Fishers. And at some yeah. stage, this guy's been linked to each one. Which has yeah. sort of made this trying to track him down even harder. You know, there's there's someone said, oh, he was at this hotel, he was at that one. So, yeah, which has just made you know we we were totally thrown by the hydro. Hydro wasn't actually in the equation until I went no. and checked checked the electoral register in Perth. We thought it was yeah. either Fishers. Well, first of all, we thought it was the Athol Palace, which is what Craig uh, said he yeah. remembered it yeah. being. Yeah. And Dave, you spoke to the manager there, didn't you, last year? Yeah. And then we we tried the Fishers, and then you contacted the former former owners of the Fishers. We did the Padfields, yeah. And and then suddenly it's turned up. It's it's it was actually the Hydro. But I think, like we said before, the staff I think all often knew each other, and they probably socialised with each other. So, 
that's probably where some of the confusion came so i've had it confirmed to me by several people that the staff from the hydro drank at the fishes that was their quote-unquote watering hole their local so the the you know there isn't an issue with kevin russell working at the hydro and not being potentially linked with the events and the people uh at fishes it would it it was an easy and it's an easy link and nobody i've spoken to uh, has has questioned that that's a, a possibility yeah yeah absolutely i mean going through the, we're in december of 2022 by this point where we've we've got names um uh, you know all through december into early january you're going through all of these potentials david writes to a few uh, in glasgow you know actually sends them letters yeah um but, and then we're getting into january with this and we're not getting anywhere but matthew do you want to talk about this tribunal that you you actually got going on yeah this is uh my my attempt because once we'd got the name we 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 sat on this name for 10 months we didn't just blurt it out um because we were conscious that uh there was a chance we would the man didn't want to be found uh, initially um and we weren't clear on the reasons for that but uh, we we have tried our absolute utmost to privately to try and locate him and one way in which we did that was to go to the National Archives, which has these formerly uh, former MOD files, um, and ask them for the name. And the, the, the name of Craig Lindsay and presumably Kevin Russell are both present in this, this DEFE file. But it's being withheld until 2076 on the grounds of privacy, personal privacy, with the alleged fear that the to name these people will cause them substantial harm and distress. And I asked the uh, National Archives to let me have the name, and they refused. I appealed, and they refused. I went to the Information Commissioner, and they issued a preliminary ruling uh, refusing. I uh, asked for a formal ruling, and they refused. They you know, said no. And then I took it to the first tier tribunal, which is like the fifth stage. Um, there are there are more beyond that, but it's it's clear that this is not going to be resolved uh, in that manner. Um, and it, it became clear to me it, it isn't possible uh, to argue by means of evidence and, and logic. It's, it can only be argued on a point of law, and the law is the law. Disagree with it as we may. Um, my case was essentially that in all the years that the Ministry of Defence and the National Archives had been releasing UFO files, which was from 98 to 2007, as it turned out, involving tens of thousands of pieces of personal information, including details of children who'd witnessed UFOs, um, Ministry of Defence personnel, civil servants, telephone numbers, addresses, ages, uh, you name it. Um, there's information about people who were clearly mentally ill, uh, who were writing in saying aliens are contacting me through my television. Um, there were people in sheltered housing. Um, on all of this is there in the clear. In all that time, there hasn't been a single recorded complaint to anyone uh, about that information being released into the public domain. But ironically, 
when the Freedom of Information Act 2005 came into force, despite its title, it was used to actually conceal information. And come 1st of January 2008, the shutters went down at the National Archives. Prior to that, every piece of personal information is there for anyone to see. And the Press Complaints Commission, the National Archives themselves, and IPSO have confirmed to me that there has been not one complaint, zero. Um, but after that, the great fear, apparently, was that these people would be approached by the press and people like ourselves, and uh, they'd be traumatised <laughs> by this, uh, these interactions, uh, despite there being literally no evidence to substantiate that, that belief. And um, no one is allowed to see these, this information now. For uh, 84 years from the date, uh, the last date in the file, because the, the assumption is if, if someone is an adult, they were are assumed to be 16 at the time, which again is a, is a low age, especially when you're dealing with civil servants and people like that. Um, and the 100 year rule applies. So you have to wait until essentially they are guaranteed to be dead before you can know their names. Yeah. I think it's worth reiterating that this is the file that you're going after, you were going after. This is the file that yeah. was mis misreported. I think it was in the Scottish Sun that the photographs had been reclassified until 2076. And that's when the whole UFO community blew up with saying these photos have been reclassified again. But this is, uh, we just need to reiterate this, which I continue to do often. It's, that it's the not Calvin, a file. No. It's just a, 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 it's one sheet of paper yeah, that, we, that yeah. you can actually read. It's just that the two names have been remembered by Black. Yes. Now, what we've got to be clear about here is that earlier on we were saying there must be a file on this case, mm. which is the one that has been probably been moved out of the whole system, given to something like BAE yeah. Systems or some private contractor. Yeah. You know, somewhere there is a file on this, got to be, that, that's, but it's not in the public record system. The yeah. one we're talking about is simply the two names on a sheet of paper that is in the file that's been released. Yeah, all the all the um, the the pieces of evidence that are referenced. Yeah, but that's far too complex to explain to your average reader of the Sun or the Daily Mail. <laughs> but it, the absurdity of it is even like say Craig Lindsay's name was redacted, along with the telephone number, the 1990 telephone yeah. number for RAF Pit Reavy. Yeah. Now I imagine that that isn't even if you were to dial it, I doubt you'd still get through, um, <laughs> given that the dialing codes presumably yeah. changed. And we, you know, we, even when we had um, a statement, a signed statement from Craig to say, uh, I was contacted by David Clark uh, in 2021, I think it was the first time, uh, 32 years, uh, 2022, 32 years had passed. No one else had contacted me. I uh, happily spoke to him, handed the photograph over, uh, was photographed, appeared in the Daily Mail, and subsequent to that, no one contacted me. <laughs> there was literally no one. You know, this great allegation, this great supposed fear that these people will be harassed and doorstepped and uh, be phoned at all, all times of the day and night. And no one, no one. And that's, that was, that's in a signed statement from Craig Lindsay. And yet that's, that's the justification used to, to keep these, these details secret. Yeah, that's the thing, absolutely. And this is leading um, us right up until the end of... Uh... 
January. Go on, David, yeah. if you had something to Well, I was just going to say to Matthew, I mean, if you, can you explain, Matthew, uh, you know, all the different um, um, Kevin Russells that you've contacted, you know, because, I mean, yeah. you've been in touch with literally hundreds, haven't you, all across the world. Uh, and and <laughs> you're not harassing them. It's a simple, uh, this is what investigative journalists do every single day. It's like someone's in the news, you contact them and you say, um, "Could you? I'd, I'd like to ask you about something. Would you be willing to talk about it? Or are you so-and-so that I'm writing a story on? And if yeah. you do it politely and you yeah. don't, if they tell you, I don't want to talk to you, please go away, you, you don't bother them again. It's a perfect. This, this is a perfectly legitimate thing to do, and the National Archives and the Ministry of Defence are just using the law to, to prevent legitimate, legitimate investigative journalism. I've made this point before, and I may sound really boring to keep going banging on about it, but it it it, it really is central to having a democracy. Actually, being able to do things like this, and Matthew, you just you know summarised what you did to try and track him down. Yeah, so as as we got when we got the name, that was like you know a fantastic moment. We, we thought we know <laughs> we're almost cracked this. <laughs> Little did we know, um, because there was there was sort of the, the the implicit fear. It was like, oh, we've got the name, fantastic. Oh, it's Kevin Russell, and it was it was clear. It was very apparent that that's a very common name, um, even in a, a you know a country with a relatively small population like Scotland. Um, just at first search, there were 24, 25. In England and Wales, there were over 200. Um, and then I we, we tracked them down. And I remember, like, Vinny, you found the first man on Twitter. And he was a, a fell walker. And he was Scottish. And he was posting photographs. And it's like, it's got to be him. No, no, no it isn't. Um, and then, are you named after an uncle or anything like that? No, no, I'm not. And so, okay, thank you for your time. And lo and behold, we just went through every scottish person with the surname russell in perthshire um every person every scottish person called kevin russell that i could uh, locate and we wrote to them we emailed them we found them on facebook and on twitter and we called them um no one has been uh, rude in the slightest the 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 worst reaction of anyone was a gentleman who I simply said, you know, my name is Matthew Wilsley. I'm, I'm calling on behalf of Dr. David Clark um, from Sheffield Hallam University. And he said, no, thank you. And put the phone down. <laughs> that, that's literally the, the worst reaction. And that is so atypical. Most but, people... but also, Matthew, there was the one who, um, I, of the ones I wrote to, one of them came back and said, oh, I, I'm, I'd love to, I am Kevin Indeed. Russell. I'd love to be the Kevin Russell. <laughs> <for I'm not. laughs> I've read yeah. about the story and I wish it was me, but it isn't. Yeah, no, it, absolutely. I think people are just intrigued. Um, I, I spoke to a vicar, um, a, a vicar, the, Mr. Russell, um, in, in Perth, uh, the Perth area, and he had me on the phone for 20 minutes talking to me about like a, the extended family. Now he was going to talk to these, all these various Russells to see if they knew a, a Kevin. Um, and I, I've been around the world. Um, I, I found later people who were worked at the uh pitlocky hydro who now live in australia and i found them and i, I was very certain to make sure that i phoned them at a, a decent time i didn't want to ring anyone in the middle of the night um and they were they were perfectly polite yeah you know i've, I've got various memories and i can't recall very much you can understand it's that long ago but um i wish you well um 
and then the we were advised at one point that Kevin Russell's mum might have worked at the Pit Lockery Festival Theatre, and a lady on Facebook was incredibly kind. She found me, uh, sent me messages. Uh, I've had a back and forth with her over a great number of months, and she uh, too had worked at the theatre and had kept the programmes. And these programmes were incredibly detailed. Uh, and listed literally everyone from, you know, the, the the managing director to the principal cast to the car park attendants and the people who wash the pots. Um, <laughs> everyone's listed. And this this lady, this, uh, Mrs. Russell, was listed there. And uh, I went and found her. And long story short, one son lives uh, in New Zealand. One son lives in Utah. I found them and, and phoned them. And I found her in, the, in France. And uh, unfortunately, it wasn't her. Uh, but again, uh, she was she was amazed when I when I found out. You know, I'm very careful to say, I'm, I, I know you don't know who I am, and I, I'm asking you to confirm information about your life. But this is the reason why we're doing it. And once I'd done so, and you know, in a polite, friendly manner, she was absolutely fine. She was just, oh yes, I'm. You know, again, like with uh, the the other person, it's like, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not the person you're looking for. Um, and yeah, so all in all, about 300 Russells, um, unfortunately a very common name in, in Scotland, and about 150 Kevin Russells, and no hits, unfortunately. Yeah. A lot of a lot of non-responses, it has to be said, um, fair number of, of denials, um, yeah, but no one definitive. Yeah, and what, what's bizarre now is that now the, his photograph and the name has appeared on in the Daily Record, one of the largest um, circulation newspapers in Scotland. Um, it's very, very odd that no one has recognised that photograph and no one has said, oh, I was at school with Kevin Russell or, oh, I know that name. Or It's very strange. You know, yeah. it's almost as if he has been abducted to another dimension or something. Yeah. We, were, we, we were really, I mean, I know, I'm sure I speak for everyone here, but at the very least, I think we were hoping someone would say, I was at catering college or I was at secondary school with Kevin Russell. Um, because he, yes, he was working at this hotel for this one season in 1990, but he has to have had a history somewhere. And we had two two particularly conflicting accounts one gentleman who again I found um, thanks to Giles's work, he was he too is named on the Hydro Hotel Electoral Register list. He was just adamant. He'd known Kevin Russell. He'd worked at the Hydro for a very long time, and Kevin Russell was from Falkirk and was a Falkirk football fan. And yet, another person who also worked at the Hydro Hotel again for a reasonable length of time informed as he was equally adamant kevin russell was uh, from glasgow he had helped him unload his car when he'd first arrived uh, from england this was the man speaking kevin russell had helped him unload his car and then when this had happened kevin russell had gone back to live with his mother in glasgow so we had you know they're not not a million miles away. I think they're about 20 miles away from one another, um, Falkirk and Glasgow. Um, so it, it was unclear, you know, which account was, was accurate. Um, and so we were just unsure how to proceed. According to various sort of public source websites, the, 
the Kevin Russells in Falkirk, who are of the right age, are not the right man. They seem to be two who particularly matched. But both of those, one has denied being the man, and the other one appeared to be married in the year before, in, in 1989. And everyone we'd spoken to said Kevin Russell was single in 1990 at the hotel. That left us with uh, four men in Glasgow. Uh, well, two in Glasgow in particular, who were born in Glasgow. Um, one in Airdrie and one in Bailiston. Um, the two from Glasgow were both born in 1967. And they seemed to be the prime matches. And we haven't been able to definitively locate either of them and that's where things stand yeah and that's the thing and then going back to the ones that you have contacted spoken to we still have the possibility that we could have found him and he said no it's not me yeah we could have um let me think what else there is yeah i mean it just this is the thing we we just we've done what we can he could have emigrated. He could have emigrated. There are yeah. still so many little things that lead off the work that we've kind of done and feel we've kind of done all we can. Yeah. We may have missed him somewhere in there and not through the fault of lack of trying, but just by just not being given that, that final yeah, step. There, and... Yeah, there was one who won Kevin Russell, unfortunately, was deceased in Scotland. Um, a gentleman who was born and died in Dundee. Um no one had mentioned that city, uh, so we didn't think it was him. Um, we hadn't had any luck in tracing his family. Um, there had been four Kevin Russells that I'd found who had passed away in England as well. So there were over 200 in England, so the chances it, it wasn't him. None of them are him. Um, but yeah, so there's been five deaths. Um, but the odds are, you know, 220 Kevin Russell's still extant. Um, yeah. So I mean, he, he could be living in England, and if he is in England, then he, you know the Scottish Daily Record doesn't reach England, does it? So yeah. the, the thing about his name isn't necessarily going to sort of reach people who may know him in England. We're assuming yeah. he's still living in Scotland. Yeah, but so, I mean, yeah. like you said, this is where we're at, and it was the right time to put the name out there with the photograph and. Yep. You know, it's like a call to arms for the general public to get involved and people in the UFO community that, are, you know, want to help out if they can. We know the guys over at Met of Bunk have been following the case very closely since the, the photo came out. And, you know, uh, so we appreciate any help that anybody watching this can, yeah. can give us. And, yeah, it's ongoing. Our investigation is still ongoing. We still have other small leads relating to the case, I would say. Yeah, yeah, we've got we've got no preconceived conclusions. We like with David, you know, when the the, the evidence changes, we we change our minds, um, and all, you know, we we acknowledge as well that um, he's not Kevin Russell is not going to be able to furnish us with a set of the blueprints for this thing, assuming it was genuine, <laughs> you know. Um, but it would be it would just be lovely. It would just be really nice to have a chat and just did you see what is recounted in the file, you know, the hovering, the silence, the vertical ascent, those yeah. kinds of things. It would just be lovely um, to see him about that. There's no recriminations, no matter what, what he was up to up that mountain, you know, um, poaching mushrooms, going for a walk. It does not matter. You know, it's 33 years later. Um, 
there's yeah just a, a chat that's all and right. also uh you know reuniting with his copyright his photograph Indeed. it belongs to him and it's a legitimate um it's a legitimate sort of thing to try and find him and, and reunite him with his with it what with the photograph that he took you know and, yeah. and we wanted it would be interesting to know did he ever get those images back from the ministry of defense because they say, don't they, in the in the material that's been released, that they return those images to the Daily Record. Well, did they? And did the Daily Record return the images to him? If not, why not? You know, there's all these answers that we're, we're still searching, we're still trying to find the answers to the, to those questions. Yeah, that's it. So, like, you know, it may not be the video update that people would really like to hear from, but you know, we, we thought it is a valid is valid to kind of give this update. That shows just how much work that has been going on since it hasn't stopped, basically. Yeah. And as a as a as a four four man team, there's only so much you can do with our everyday lives and jobs and families and stuff. Exactly. So you know, any help uh, is appreciated going forward. Uh, and we'll give more updates as and when we get anything, if anything, down the line. So before we finish this, though, yeah, I was going to say, is there anything that we we need to to, to mention before we do end? Well, I'd just like to say that, you know, what people will probably have noticed is that we haven't spent the hour banging on about we've got this theory and that theory about, you know, what, what's shown on them photographs. Because, you know, you go on on, on the Twitter sphere and you, you you just read all this stuff about it being a, a rock in a lake and now the, what's the <coughs> theory that it's some kind of, what is it, BAE systems who borrowed a couple of areas and sent them up to, to do some test or something. On the top of a yeah. mountain. It's a theory. A what, what, what annoys me about it is that these things are presented as if that's it. That's the, We've solved the mystery. And it's not solved the mystery at all. It's just a theory. Where's the evidence? What we're doing is actually um, doing the investigative work to try and get find the person involved. You know, yeah. point, anyone can come up with, with theories, but, you know, it's actually doing some legwork to actually reach the actual people involved on the spot. Who might be able to confirm what actually happened? Yeah. It's very easy to theorise, but you know that isn't real research. It's just speculation. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, there is a time and a place for theories, and I'm all for it. But it's it's a case that needs conclusions. It needs you know moving further down the line. It needs evidence. It needs data. It needs it needs more. And we're not going to get it from the MOD. Nope. So we have no. to go and do it ourselves. So. Again, I will re reiterate to anybody watching this, please get in touch. If you have any information, if you wish to remain anonymous, that's absolutely fine as well. We will uh, respect your, your wishes, but you know, it would just be great to be able to put this case to bed once and for all so we can all get on with our lives and move on to something else. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, gentlemen, thank you so much again. Uh, I mean, it's a pleasure working with you guys and, and now we've been at this for so long. Yeah, it's just great. So thank you for that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cool. All right, everyone watching, like I said, please get in touch. Take care. Goodbye.